The story you're about to hear was told to me in the strictest of confidence. Certain names, dates and locations may have been changed to protect that confidence. Events that feature in this story may be part of the public record. If you believe you recognise any of the people, places or events that feature in this story, I ask you not to reveal any information publicly out of respect for the subject's right to remain anonymous. My name is David Paul Nixon, and this is the New Ghost Stories podcast, where we delve into the New Ghost Stories archive to hear witness accounts of the supernatural. Stories that could be delusions, lies, fantasies, or perhaps even the real thing. Just don't make your mind up until you've listened. One of the strange things about Christmas is how it causes the past and present to collide. And I'm referring here not to the season's ancient traditions and religious significance. I'm talking about the way it can cause us to regress. Christmas has a way of restoring dynamics once cast off and outgrown. As we reach the big day in late December, we get ready to depart our everyday routine and to put aside many of our daily responsibilities. We either travel to our families or open our own homes to guests. And then things start to fall into familiar patterns. We find ourselves again becoming little brother or big sister or the middle child. We go back to being the difficult one or the tearaway, the big head, the bad loser, the shy kid, and so on. Families never forget. And it doesn't matter how much time has passed, how many qualifications we have, how important our jobs are, how many children we have of our own. The embarrassing thing you did 20 years ago can still be a hot topic of conversation. The argument where you refuse to admit you were wrong 25 years ago can be stoked once again. The accident you had as a child is still worth a laugh, even 30 years later. They have an image of us that we can never ever shake off. There is simply no escaping our pasts at Christmas. But frustrating as it may be, it offers its comforts too. It can be nice to let our parents look after us again. It can be exciting to vicariously relive the excitement of opening Christmas toys with a new generation of children. To play old games again, relive old traditions enjoy friendly rivalries and raise a glass together, and to remember times when we were less divided. Many of us will have people in our families who we won't relish seeing again at Christmas, people whose views and attitudes are far distant to our own, whose beliefs we may find hard to listen to and tolerate, whose actions may even put others at risk. It's not always easy to extend good cheer to everyone, and you may question whether it is even worth the effort. Should we spend our precious holiday time with those who we can hardly think of without anger rising up inside of us? Christmas gives us that opportunity to go back, to be brothers and sisters and cousins again, to return to a time when what separated us was not our beliefs, but the rules regarding who gets the last pig in a blanket and or what happens when you roll the dice and land on free parking, to a time when things were simpler, when we cared more for each other, when we recognised 
each other. The benefits may be short-lived. Little may have changed for good by the time Boxing Day comes around. But it is worth still trying to see the good in one another. To recognise that good may still be there, and that it may bear out again. And if there is someone around the Christmas table who takes too much pleasure in reminding you of your past and trying to put you back in your place, insisting you be someone you have ceased to be long ago, it's always worth remembering that those who like to make us feel small cannot bear how small they feel, that they can only feel tall by pushing other people down. Christmas comes but once a year. They can only drag you down for a day. They must live with who they are for the rest of the year and beyond. I've mentioned before that, despite having a case file that covers hundreds of alleged supernatural incidents, that I have precious few Christmas hauntings in my archive. The story that ended up in New Ghost Stories Volume 3, After the Flood, which we featured last year on the podcast, had something of a Christmas backdrop, although it did not actually take place on the day itself. What I have for you today is an actual ghost story set on Christmas Day. Now that timing is good. The timing in which I received the story, less so. When I first heard of it, I was finishing my last book, so I wasn't able to include it. But there was just about enough time to get it ready for the podcast in time for Christmas. Just about. It's been such a busy year. So this is a story which hasn't been told before and which has been published on the podcast for the first time. Hopefully it shows no sign of its rather rapid preparation. As hinted in my introduction, it is a story about relationships, about the sacrifices we must make to live with each other and love each other, and whether in the end those sacrifices turn out to be worth it. I'm going to be moving house in January, so there will be a slight delay in the first full episode going live in the new year. Normal service is expected to return in February. However, you may spot a little bonus episode landing in the feed before then, so keep your eyes peeled. Thanks for supporting the podcast. I am thankful to have listeners who enjoy and value what I do, and I don't take that for granted. I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays, and a very Happy New Year. Here is case number 404, First Christmas on Her Own, which you can hear in full, uninterrupted, after these messages. The New Ghost Stories podcast is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror, covering films, television, books, fiction and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at horrifiedmag probably worth mentioning that the narrator of this story is female. Sam came home and he was in a good mood for a change. You remember I text my friend Steph about there being any jobs at her agency. What does Steph do again? I was a bit slow on the uptake. I'd been busy working out how much we'd gone over budget for Christmas presents, and where, if anywhere, we could make up the money from our monthly budget. She works for that SEO agency. SEO? Search engine optimization, he said slowly. How to rank on Google. Okay, sure, I think I remember. She said she'd ask if there were any roles there because they sometimes take on people without experience. I'd said he should ask all his friends if they knew of any openings. And she's got something. 
She called me up and said they're hiring some juniors in the new year, and a boss says they'll interview me if I do one of their tests. Oh, that's great news! Sam had been made redundant at the end of the summer and it had been nothing but disappointment on the job hunting front since. There's a catch, though. I don't have much time. Her boss is going to Canada for New Year and won't be back until the end of January. I'll have to do it over Christmas and get it to him after Boxing Day if I want to get an interview in before they advertise the job. Wow, okay, that doesn't give you much time, does it? Not much. Steph said their thing is to bring in people who don't have much experience but want to learn, so they get people who are keen but don't have to pay them much. That's nice of them. Yeah, but it's good, though. I mean, it means I can get into something else. Sure, if that's what you want to do. It's got to be more interesting than what I was doing before, right? I wanted to be encouraging. Sam had been so down, and to be honest, he'd been a bit of a drag recently. If this got him excited and motivated, then I was for it. Even if it was entry level, he needed something to do with himself. And it would be an excuse to spend less time with your family at Christmas this year, he only half joked. Uh, yeah. I have something to tell you about that, actually, I said nervously. I have too much family. Lots of nieces and nephews and lots of comparing scorecards between their parents, with passive-aggressive one-upmanship over love, life, school grades and house prices. I could definitely do without that. But I didn't think Sam was going to like what I'd been forced to plan for us instead. I had to take him into the living room to sit him down and explain what I'd gotten us into. What had happened was that I was on the phone with Mum and I'd opened my big mouth. She was going through Christmas plans, going on about who was staying with who, and who was coming over when and so on, and I was sitting there thinking how much I hated how complicated the whole thing was. Then I just suddenly called out, What about Gran? Who's going to spend Christmas with her? The phone went silent. I realised Mum had forgotten about her. She'd forgotten her own Mum. Gran and Grandad used to drive up to Mum and Dad's for Christmas, but then Mum and Dad moved further away. Gran and Grandad were getting older and didn't like to do long drives anymore. So they used to spend Christmas together and Mum and Dad and a few of us would go over and visit before New Year and take them out for dinner. But this year Gran would be on her own. Grandad had died unexpectedly in his sleep in August. I suppose when you're getting old, unexpected doesn't seem like the right word. But he was healthy. He hadn't been ill. He just fell asleep and that was it. Gone. Grandad wasn't one of the most upbeat people. He was difficult, always mumbling and grumbling along. But he'd been a presence my whole life. It felt like a punch in the gut when he died. I couldn't imagine what it must be like for Gran. Someone you've been so close to for so long, just disappearing for good. I couldn't get my head around how hard that would be. Sam had been a moping pain lately, but I couldn't imagine him just vanishing like that. We'd been going out for four years. How long had Gran and Grandad been together? Maybe more than fifty. Poor Gran. And now he'd forgotten her. I could tell by Mum's voice she was shocked she'd done it and that she felt so guilty about it. It's all those grandkids. Once the kids come along, they're the centre of attention. They suck the oxygen out of the room. I think it was in a moment of panic that she said, why don't you go over and spend Christmas with her? It was the perfect solution for her. 
Mum was going to be short of space, and she knew I didn't like all the competitiveness between my brothers. I couldn't really say no. And I do love Gran. She's always been my favourite grandparent. She was always my go-to when I was in trouble at school and I couldn't bring myself to fess up to my parents. She didn't actually live that far away from us either. Less than an hour's drive away. Sam seemed to take it okay. Fortunately, the good news about the job softened the blow. It'll be really quiet, I suppose, he said. As long as she understands I have to work because, you know, I really need this job. Gran is pretty chill, I said. She'll be okay with it, I think. I hope so. I've got a lot to do and not much time. Sam can be a little unfocused but he really did want to throw himself into it. I tried to help him get organised and plan what he needed to do in the time he had to do it. The next morning we started to go through it all, and how he could divvy it up over the next few days. It was supposed to make it seem more manageable. Unfortunately, it also made it clear just how much there was to get done. And it wasn't just the test, which was plenty of work on its own. It was the interview, too. He'd have to prep for that at the same time. Steph had told him her boss was kind of unpredictable. His interviews could be really casual or they could be very formal. It just depended on what sort of mood he was in and what impression you made on him. I tried to reassure him it was all doable if we planned it out task by task. But I ended up stressing him out. I'd made the hill seem like a mountain and anxiety started to creep in. It kept him awake at night, tossing and turning. Then he'd be all tetchy in the mornings. In the end, he embarked on a strategy which prioritised quantity over quality. He started to measure his performance by how many hours he put in. If he did lots of hours, then he was by default doing more, and that must be a good thing. So much for tangible goals. He started divvying up the day, spending so many hours on research, and so many for writing, and so many for interview prep. If he did, say, eight hours of stuff a day, that put him in a good mood. But if he ended up doing less for whatever reason, he'd get frustrated and start to panic. He had had a rough time of it. There isn't much to apply for in the autumn, and some of the interviews he'd been through hadn't gone well. One went very badly. He wasn't right for the job, it didn't make sense why they'd even invited him, and they were real dicks about it. I wanted to tell him he shouldn't put all his hopes on this one thing. He was starting to sound a little bit like this was make or break for him. It was just a job in SEO. I wasn't even convinced he wanted a career in that. Wish I did know what he wanted to do with himself. Just moving from one thing to the next is a very Sam thing to do. I always wished he had a little bit of ambition. I was relieved when Christmas Eve came around just for the change of scenery. With money being tight, we hadn't even been able to enjoy any parties. There'd been an open bar at my staff Christmas do, but I didn't get too drunk because I didn't want to rub it in. We were both making each other miserable. Spending Christmas in a sad granny's house was starting to look like a step up. Gran lives in a little ground floor flat, a maisonette in an old tenement house. I felt apprehensive on arrival. The whole reason we were there was that she'd suffered a loss. It was the unspoken truth of the conversations we'd had over the phone. We were there so she wouldn't feel so lonely and notice the void left by Grandad's death. I expected her to be sad or at least a bit down. It had only been a few months. In fact, she was very jolly and upbeat, 
She saw us pull up and came out to us as fast as her little granny legs could carry her. She was wearing a Santa hat. There were hugs on the street. Sam managed to look even more uncomfortable than I felt. The second surprise was the house itself. The place was a bit depressing even before Grandad had passed on. It was a mix of 70s beige and cheap 80s glamour. The carpets were tatty and worn and the wallpaper chintzy but faded. The furniture was that plasticky wood veneer stuff which was all literally pretty shaky by this point. The sofa had an oriental pattern that had worn away long ago on the seats and arms. But so much of that was gone now. The living room had been repainted and that room and the hall had also been recarpeted. The kitchen had been refitted and she took joy in demonstrating the tilt of her brand new leather recliner. She was beaming as she showed us around and took great delight in telling us which bit she was going to do next. The wallpaper's got to come down, she said, as she walked back through the hall. I don't know what we were thinking. When was this lumpy porridge texture stuff ever fashionable? You think you're doing the right thing at the time. She told us she'd been able to afford all the changes because of a payout from Grandad's pension. It's been needing doing for years, she said. I finally have the money now, and I can do it just how I like, she said with a little chuckle. That made me feel a bit weird. We finished the tour in the kitchen, where Gran felt the need to tell Sam, You're so tall, I always forget. They'd met a couple of times before, and I'm sure she said that to him every time. Grandad was tall too. Maybe that's a thing she likes in men. Burning the candle at both ends, she asked him. Sam didn't seem to understand. You look tired, dear. Like you're not getting enough kip. Oh yeah, well, it's just all this work I have to do. Becky told you, right, about the interview. Yes, yes, I know we're not to disturb you this weekend. You've got to get cracking. But let yourself have a bit of rest. It is Christmas. Only comes once a year. I think once is enough, I said, carefully unpacking the chocolate log I'd made from the bag for life I brought it in. I'd insisted on providing dessert if she was making the dinner. I didn't want to end up with Christmas cake, who even likes Christmas cake. Now, now, we'll have no Scrooges and humbugs in this house, my dear. I remember how much you used to love Christmas. All children love Christmas. You get presents and everyone else does the work. Oh, so cynical these days, she said, shaking her head. Let me show you to your room and you can put those away. Sam grabbed our cases and she led him to the spare bedroom. Meanwhile, I opened the fridge and tried to excavate a little space for the log to fit in. After performing this minor miracle, I slipped into the living room to put presents under the tree. I'd wrapped Sam's gift in a large box to disguise what it was. I had to put it down very carefully so it wouldn't make any noise. Just one sound and he might guess. It had been a challenge getting it here. I could hear the pitter-patter of raindrops on the glass roof to the conservatory in the next room. The conservatory had been Grandad's workshop. I found myself wandering over there. He'd been a carpenter, and into his later years he'd kept it up as a hobby. Whenever I visited, he was usually there carving, sanding or sawing. He used to make little wooden toys and donate them to charity or sell them at car boot sales. The floor was always covered in sawdust and cast-off pieces of timber. I could just about remember him bringing me toys when I was little. He made me all the classics, building blocks, wooden duck with wheels on a string, 
One of those fit the shape in the hole toys. I still have the choo-choo train he made me. He'd named it after me, painted my name on the side. It's probably why I never gave that away and kept it all these years. I remember the day Grandad came around with something he'd made, and I just wasn't interested. I remember because I got a telling off. By then I was into my skating, and I got my hands on a Nintendo. I remember having to go up to him to say sorry. I saw hurt in the eyes of this big, tall, towering man. He was so disappointed. There were no more wooden toys after that. I sometimes wondered if he'd ever forgiven me. He seemed to get quieter as the years went by. He'd visit and just sort of sit there, listening, occasionally mumbling something, and he'd pick at his ear. He was always sticking his finger in it, cleaning out the earwax, which was always gross. Dad used to call him Lurch, a reference I obviously didn't get till much later. But he'd meant well in his way. I remember my brother Gareth bringing his kids over and Grandad balancing little George on his knee while he played with plastic cups on the table. Now the conservatory was empty. His workbench and tools were all gone, and the sawdust all swept up. Granad put in some tall plants and a lounger. All traces of his little workspace were now gone. I suppose there's no point in keeping things untidy, it was just... Strange how quickly Gran seemed to be moving on. She was in such good spirits. That's a good thing, I supposed. Four months just seemed such a short time. Perhaps I was being too... sentimental. I wandered down the hall and found Sam in Gran's room unpacking. Gran, we can't have your room. I don't need all this space, she insisted. But we can't take your bed. I only have the single in the other room, so there's not enough room for two. I looked aghast at Sam, but he only shrugged his shoulders. Sometimes I sleep in that room anyway. It's much easier to keep warm. I found myself without an argument. Well, I suppose it's just for a couple of nights. Oh, don't make such a fuss. You two spread yourselves out. She left us there to sort out our things. The bedroom was the 80s glamour room all white and shades of gold. She hadn't had chance to change the room much yet. The fitted wardrobe had gilded lines. The bedside lamps were in polished brass. The dressing table had a faux marble top, and the legs and mirror frame were painted in gold. There were decorative gold sheets too. I had to explain to Sam you were supposed to take them off before you went to bed. Why would you buy sheets just to take them off? I don't know, it's just a thing. You'll have to put them back on in the morning. Why? Because that's just what you do. Don't ask me why. It's so weird. It's how she likes it. Gran reheated us some cottage pie for lunch and gave us a slice each of Christmas cake whether we liked it or not because she'd bought some anyway. Afterwards, Sam settled himself down to work in the dining room. He'd arbitrarily decided that he needed to do at least five hours that day. From what I'd seen so far, he was progressing okay not that I understood it too much. For the test, he'd been given the address of a website with average SEO ranking, and it was his job to create a strategy for improving it. He seemed to have done a lot on this front so far, but that didn't seem to cut down his hours at all. He was doing more reading, as if searching for something he'd missed. I wondered if he was just second-guessing himself. 
I didn't want to interfere. I tried my best to help him. I can't do it for him. Although I'd have to put up with him if he didn't get the job. I sat down with Gran in the living room. What is it Sam's doing? SEO, I said. Search engine optimization. It's for helping websites get a better ranking on Google. Oh, is that a job nowadays? Seems to be. Gran didn't look convinced. Has he always wanted to do that sort of thing? This is a new ambition. One of his friends does it. They're able to get him the interview. Oh, she said. He was doing something else before, wasn't he? Yes, merchandising. Merchandising? It's choosing what products you want to promote and where to promote them. So when you go on a website, the things you see are the items they've put there to drive sales. Oh, she said thoughtfully. And that's a job, is it? I nodded, trying my best not to giggle. I was comforted at least to see that she still had pictures of Grandad around. There were two on the mantelpiece. One was from maybe ten years ago, taken at my brother Gareth's wedding. Grandad was wearing a suit, and he stood next to Gran attempting something like a smile. The other picture was from much earlier. He was a young man and wearing what looked like some kind of uniform. You know, I've always meant to ask, what is Grandad wearing in that photo? He wasn't in the army, was he? Gran scoffed. Of course not. Can you imagine? It's a funny story, though. That is an RAF pilot's uniform, but not a real one. He used to make sets for the theatres, you know. I didn't know that. He used to meet all sorts of people. He had an autograph book once, with loads of signatures in it. Don't know what he did with it. Can't find it anywhere. It's probably worth some money now. How'd he get the uniform? There was this play about an airman who came down in occupied France. This young actor was in it. He was very, very handsome. Don't think he went on to do much. But I asked Bill to get his autograph for me, and he didn't want to do it, because he was all jealous of him. We were married by then, so I don't know why he would think I'd go running off with a young man who I'd never even met. So he sulked about it. But he said yes eventually. A few days later he came back and he gives me an envelope, and I think this is it. And I pull out this big glossy photo. But it's not him, it's your granddad dressed up like he's the star of the play. He had his signature on it. I think it said, I'm all you'll ever need, baby. You can't see because the writing is behind the frame. Silly sod. He thought it was so funny. He never did get me that signature. I walked over to give the picture a closer look. He does look rather handsome. Good-looking man in his day, your grandfather. I don't know why he was worried about me and other men. I was worried about him. Bit of a ladies' man for a time. Really? Grandad? Oh, yeah. He had lots of girlfriends before me. I had to keep him on a tight leash. I smiled. What a dark horse he must have been. Gran went to grab a drink, and when she came back, she started asking me about things with my job. So we didn't really speak about him again. I noticed later that most of the pictures she had of him around the place were from when he was much younger. Perhaps that meant nothing. Perhaps they just took more pictures in their early years together. Gran said we should have fish and chips for dinner, and me and Sam were definitely up for that. The local chippy was award-winning, so she said we should get there early to avoid the queue but Sam felt like he needed to add another hour to his work, so I waited with Gran watching a Morecambe and Wise Christmas special. 
We ended up cooing in the cold for nearly half an hour. Sam kept yawning. At least he'll get a lion tomorrow, he said. Had to break some bad news to him. Gran goes to church on Christmas morning. I'd completely forgotten until she mentioned it. And we have to go. Can't let her go alone. She might need a bit of support. But you were saying she doesn't seem to miss your granddad much. It's weird. I'm wondering if maybe she got to a point where she didn't really like him anymore. He did say he was a bit difficult. Perhaps she thought it was too much fuss to separate. They felt like they were stuck together. We stood with our hands in our pockets, watching enviously as people came out holding parcels of warm, wrapped, mouth-watering carbs. It would take just a few more people to leave, and we'd be able to queue inside the shop where it was warm. Suddenly, Sam said, Do you think he died there? What do you mean? Your granddad. Do you think he died in that bedroom? What? No, of course not. I thought you said he died in his sleep. Yes, but it can't have been in there. Felt myself going white. Can it? It's their bedroom. Where else would he have died? He might have been sleeping in the small bedroom. Why? You heard what Gran said. It's easier to keep warm. But that would mean he'd be keeping warm and leaving her in the cold. Would he do that? I don't know. If they didn't like each other that much, maybe they slept apart. Can you ask her? I can't, can I? It'd be really awkward. Not as weird as sleeping in a bed where someone died. A teenager came out the shop with several portions piled up in his arms. We were nearly inside. Maybe he died in his chair. He used to fall asleep there all the time. Which chair do you mean? said Sam. Had Gran gotten rid of his chair as well? I didn't remember seeing it. I don't want to think about it, I said. He probably didn't die in that bed. You'd change the mattress, wouldn't you? Mattresses are pretty expensive. She's been spending money on the flat. She must have changed it. A woman came out with several bags. We could finally slip through the door. I only sat on it for a moment, but it felt like an old mattress. Sam, I said I didn't want to think about it. Because I snapped at him, he went into a sulk for the rest of the time we were queuing. Then he found out they were sold out of steak pies and he had to have chicken and mushroom instead. I never said that he should have come earlier like I told him, but he knew I was thinking it. He moped the whole way back. The only thing he said on the journey was, So what time do you have to be up in the morning? Service starts at 9am, I think. I guess we'll have to be out of the house before 8.30. I've got work to do. I'm only going to get to do a few hours. We can make Christmas dinner ourselves. You can work for as long as you want. If you spend the time he took complaining about not having enough time to work, actually working, who knew what he might achieve? Gran was watching Singing in the Rain by the time we got back. We served up the chips and went to join her. Sam doesn't like musicals much, but he couldn't bring himself to suggest a channel change when Gran said we could watch something else if we wanted. Sam sat in Grandad's armchair. It was still there after all. It was just covered up with a large throw. As a commiseration for not getting the pie he wanted, Gran said she'd treat him to a drop of Grandad's whiskey. I don't know anything about whiskey, but I know Sam's dad is an aficionado. When she showed him the bottle, he was pretty stoked. It was a really good one, apparently. Sam spotted Die Hard was on. Once Singing in the Rain was over, he convinced Gran to watch it, as we'd only missed the first ten minutes. Sharing whiskey and watching the action, they were having a grand old time. I wasn't. I was tense and uneasy. 
I was frustrated with Sam and his moods and how that looked to Gran, although they were getting on now. There was something about the house, too. What Sam had said about the bed. Gran had not updated the bedroom yet. It was the only place in the flat that hadn't been completely transformed since Grandad had died. And it was the last place where he'd been alive. And it was where we were supposed to sleep the night. I remember standing over the bed after I'd gotten undressed and had got myself ready. I'd pulled the sheets back a little like I was about to get in, except that I hadn't. I'd stood there for a long time. It didn't mean anything really, did it? It wasn't like he'd been lying there dead a long time anyway. She'd found him first thing in the morning. Oh, why did that matter? Was it less creepy if he'd only been dead there a few hours as opposed to much longer? If it had been longer, she definitely would have changed the mattress. Sam had taken a shower. He came in in his vest and boxes, still drying his hair with a towel. He saw me standing there and sniggered. You're really worried about it, aren't you? I don't want to lie where someone's been dead, Sam, I said. I didn't like him laughing at me. You're probably right. Your gran would have changed the mattress. Seems like the sort of thing she would have done. I hope so, I said, still standing like I was going to get in at any moment. And he can only have died on one side of the bed. You've got a 50-50 chance of choosing the side he didn't die on. Do you mind sleeping on the side he died on? I'm just going to pretend you're sleeping on the dead man's side. It was even more annoying when he was drunk. My granddad's death is not funny, Sam. Okay, he said, rolling his eyes. I'm more worried about the sheets anyway. Did we take off all the decorative ones? I aggressively pulled the sheets back further. He threw his towel over the back of a chair and made a show of diving in and covering himself up. Nice and warm in here. Not cold at all. I finally, slowly got myself in. I tried to make myself comfortable. The sheets will have definitely been changed. Washed, at least. I ignored him. I didn't know how I was going to get to sleep. I was tense and wide awake and about to punch him. It's after midnight, he said, checking his phone. He rolled over to look at me. Merry Christmas! Yeah, I said, looking up at the ceiling. Merry Christmas. Sam sighed. Good night, then, and turned off the light. He was asleep in no time at all. He snored a little, but not too badly. I closed my eyes and tried to do my breathing exercises. I'd read that you're much more likely to get to sleep if you try to think happy thoughts. I tried to think of when we were last on holiday. We'd been to Crete and enjoyed mussels and white wine by the ocean. We'd hiked into the hills and explored the ruins. It was the last time we'd really had any fun together before he'd lost his job. When could we even afford to go on holiday again? No, back to happy thoughts. We'd rented out a boat, but neither of us were very good at steering the thing. We both bought a snorkel and spent a little time trying to see the coral reefs, but we couldn't swim down far enough. Then we realised the motor hadn't been refuelled, and Sam had to row us both back. His arms ached for the rest of the holiday. The reminiscences must have worked. I drifted off and started to dream. I dreamt that me and Sam had adopted a puppy, a tiny little Labrador. I was doing my best to train the puppy and get him to behave, but all Sam did was play with him, so he kept getting more and more hyperactive. He started to wreck the place, knocking furniture over and tearing down curtains. 
I couldn't get him to stop, and Sam didn't help. He just stood watching like it was no big deal. I opened my eyes. Some noise outside had woken me up. I turned to look at the window. I couldn't see through the curtains, but I could hear a group of drunks passing by. They were taken in turns to do their best Noddy Holder impersonations, and were screaming, It's Christmas! at each other. I rolled over and found that Sam wasn't lying next to me. A little puzzled, I looked up and saw the door was slightly open. He must have gone to the toilet. The room was cold. I brought the sheets right up to my chin and rolled over to face the window again. The noise of the drunks had started to die away. I heard the door open slowly, and then close again, slowly, as Sam tried his best not to make any noise. I lay waiting, expecting to have to give back some of the sheets I'd gathered up for myself. He seemed to take a very long time getting back into the bed. When I felt him lift the sheets, he lifted them very slowly. I could feel the tenseness in his grip. He seemed to lower himself into bed very gently. I wondered if he'd been sick in the toilet. I mean, how much had he drunk? It was like he was afraid he'd trip and fall. Suddenly I felt a chill. A sudden freak flash of cold passed over me. I turned to look at Sam but his head was hidden beneath the covers. I could see some hair on the pillow. The lights were still out, but I could see that it was light, not dark like Sam's. Sam, I said, my voice quivering. He rolled over. He reached out with his hand and gripped my arm. I was so shocked it was like ice. A skeletal face rose from beneath the sheets. I screamed for my life. I leapt out of the bed, shrieking. I landed on the floor with a thud. Sam came dashing through the door. I was crab-crawling backwards to the window. What is it? What's wrong? The bed! The bed! I pointed my hand, trembling. Sam leapt to it, grabbed the sheets and threw them across the room. The bed was empty. I squealed. I put my shaking hands over my mouth. He was there! He was there! I cried, pointing back to it again. It was just a dream, just a dream, Sam said sitting beside me, holding me. No, no, he was there. I could feel him. He was so cold, Sam, so cold. It's okay. It's gone, all gone. You're fine now. You're okay. My heart was racing. Sam hugged me tight. It took me many minutes to calm down. I felt tears run down my cheeks. I've never had a nightmare like that in my whole life. It could not have been real, I thought. Even if it felt so real at the time, there are no monsters in the night, I thought. Sam sat with me, holding me. We stayed there quite some time while I tried to get a grip on myself. He held me the whole time. You almost scared the life out of me, he said. The whole thing doesn't seem to have worried your gran much. I laughed. We could hear the sound of snoring from down the hall. We stayed there for... Maybe twenty minutes. Sam made the bed again for us, and he was very patient waiting for me to get back in. Do you want to switch sides? he asked. No, it's fine, I said, feeling so embarrassed. My pulse was still fast. I could feel my hands trembling. I wondered if I was in a state of shock. Nothing's going to happen to you while I'm here, he said. 
climbed into bed and he put his arms around me. We took to the spooning position. There's a heater around here somewhere, he said. I could put it on if you're cold. No, I think I'm going to be okay. I just never had such a nightmare before. A literal nightmare before Christmas, he said. After a few minutes he went to turn off the light and then we went back to spooning and stayed that way well into the morning. I honestly don't think I would have got back to sleep at all if he hadn't been there, holding me. It meant a lot to have him there, my protector, big ol' badass Sam. When I woke, feeling pretty groggy, I was kind of disappointed to not find him still next to me. I stretched and I yawned. I suppose even mighty men still have to get up and go to the bathroom in the morning. I was surprised moments later to see him return fully clothed and ready to make a move. I smiled and was about to say something to him, but then I noticed a sour look on his face. He said, Come on, gotta go in a few minutes. He reached into his suitcase to grab a belt, then left the room without barely looking at me. I reached for my phone. We only had fifteen minutes until we had to leave. Why hadn't he woken me up, for goodness sake? And with that, all the goodwill he'd gained overnight was gone. No time to shower, I just had to wash and fix myself up quickly. I never went to church, but it still felt like some way you should try and make a good impression. At least for Gran's sake. She'd been ready for some time. She was in the kitchen, enjoying a morning tea. Mercifully, she'd made me one too. You oversleep a little, dear, she said. He was supposed to be waking me, I said, looking around. Where is he now? He was outside. He couldn't even wait for me. He'd gone to sit in the car. Ended up having to skip breakfast. All I got to eat was a banana. What? he said. Got to get the heat going. Don't want you complaining it's cold. Couldn't remember ever complaining about it being cold in the car. But before I could say anything, he revved the engine up and pulled out. Gran gave him directions and I sat looking out the window for the whole journey. It was a cold, clear morning and the light was hurting my eyes. The crowd at the church wasn't huge. The average age of attendees was about 30 years or so older than me and Sam. There were a few families there, kids dragged along with their parents. They were mostly well behaved, but several had trouble sitting still for the duration. It wasn't a long service, at least. Nice stuff about remembering the needy at this time of year and being grateful for what you have, not what you hope to receive. Sam sat through the whole thing with his arms folded, face like a slapped arse. He mumbled through the hymns. He's not religious either, but he could still try. What's wrong with you this morning? I said, after the service was over. Nothing's wrong with me. You've been sulking the whole time. Just don't like having to get up for this. I've got other things to do. Nice if I could at least sleep a little. Didn't know what to say. I wanted to kick him. Is she going to be much longer? Gran had lit a candle and was having a quiet moment. I think she was praying. For goodness sake, Sam, give her a moment. I might just wait in the car. No, just... I was raising my voice. Just wait and don't be rude, I hissed. He grumbled something under his breath. We stood not talking to each other until Gran had finished, and then we set off back for home. We started the cooking once we returned. Sam settled back into the dining room and barely made a peep while we did the work. I almost cut off one of my fingers while I was chopping carrots. I was so wound up about him. Gran did her best to keep things upbeat. 
she put on some Christmas tunes and forced me into a sing-along, which cheered me up a bit, at least until I heard Sam obnoxiously slam the dining room door. We did a decent job with dinner. Only the flat Yorkshire puddings were a disappointment. Sam was fairly quiet, but he was at least pleasant and not rude. He complimented the cooking and my chocolate log, and the lack of leftovers was as much of a sign of approval as any. We were all stuffed. Afterwards we sat down to the present opening. I got Grand some expensive tea and chocolates from Harrods, from both of us. Fancy consumables is always my go-to when I can't think what to get someone for a present. I'd have to wait till February when there'd be no council tax to get my hair done. I thought long and hard about what to get Sam. I wanted to surprise him, and you can't surprise someone if you get them something they've already asked for. With Sam having such a bad end of the year, I'd spent a lot of time trying to find a gift that I thought would be meaningful and make him smile. But something was different about Sam, and as I watched him open the present, I found that I had this feeling of dread building. I wasn't afraid he wouldn't like it. I suddenly felt like he might somehow be disgusted by it. Laugh at it even, that I couldn't have picked a more ridiculous present. What I bought him was a ukulele, just like the one he used to have when we first met. When he unwrapped it, he looked at it as if he'd never seen one before in his life. Gran looked perplexed. What's that? Sam didn't say anything. To save face, I had to jump in and say, When we first met, Sam had a ukulele and used to play it for me all the time. Sometimes he'd write songs for me. That seemed like an age away. Oh yeah, he said, with a flicker of recognition. As if he could have forgotten. A box got dropped on it when we moved, I said. I thought you might like a new one. He strummed his fingers across it carefully, as if it was something he was afraid to touch, in case he might break it. Yeah, um, thanks, he said. He put it down and then he looked at me like he'd forgotten something. Then he leaned over and kissed me on the cheek. I felt like I was going to go scarlet with embarrassment. I decided I'd go to the kitchen to start the washing up. I just wanted to get out of the room in case I did something stupid like start to cry. Gran said she'd help, but I insisted on doing it myself. It was a useful distraction. The floodgates for tears closed up. Sam went back to do his work and I thought about going to have a nap. I could really do with 40 winks, I was getting so groggy. It was a real shame there wasn't another bed I could use. With all the dishes left to dry, I walked into the hall and heard Sam hammering the keys down hard on his keyboard. For a moment I thought he was working away hard. But as I listened, I realised he was just smacking the keys down over and over. I peered into the dining room. He wasn't working at all. He was playing some game on his laptop. Working hard, I see, I snapped. He looked around at me. Can't have a moment to myself to have a little fun. You've spent the past week complaining you don't have enough time to work. I was shouting now and to hell with it. I wasn't going to be polite anymore. This behaviour was not acceptable and I wasn't going to put up with it. I've spent too much time on it already, he said. And why should I spend all this time on something so they might give me some kind of job at the end of it? That's the deal, Sam. That's what you signed up for. He snorted. Well, I've decided not to go through with it now anyway. You what? I'm not jumping through hoops for them, he said, folding his arms. I was speechless. It's not like I'm getting paid, is it? It's a junior position anyway. But you said you really wanted the job. I can change my mind, can't I? 
Oh, just like that? After all this fuss? Well, it's not like you really want me to get the job. I heard you talking about it with your gran. I was just... I was just joking around, okay? It could be a good career move. I know what you think. I'm not going to spend my whole Christmas working for a job you're ashamed of me doing. I never said that. Well, I'm not doing it now, and that's that. I was going to go crazy. I was so angry I could barely articulate words. So what are you going to do for money? I'll find something else. It's been months already. Well, sorry for being such a disappointment to you. I can only do my best. I'll find something so you don't end up spending any more of your precious pennies on me. Turned back to his computer and started up the game again. Short of literally screaming, there was nothing I could do to express my explosive levels of frustration. I walked out the room with my hands held out in front of me like, because I couldn't actually throttle Sam, I'd throttle anything else that might happen to fall into my eyeline. I ended up back in the kitchen. I slammed my hands down on the counter, twice. I poured myself a large glass of wine and had a good go at knocking back the whole thing in one go. I managed it in two. I put the glass down and stared into my reflection in the open hood of the new cooker. My hands were gripping the edge of the counter. If I'd had the strength, I'd have snapped it in half. How would I have it? If I had myself a new kitchen... Could I afford it if I took away the money I was spending on supporting Sam? I could start looking for a new job in the spring. Maybe it was time for me to go for a head of department role, or a head of year somewhere. I had money tucked away. I didn't need much more for a mortgage for a small place. And if I didn't have to worry about Sam, I could move anywhere. I could have a nice flat to myself without muddy football boots and Funko Pop dolls all over the place, and no toenail clippings on the sofa. I could watch Werner Herzog movies and Grey's Anatomy if I felt like it, cook fish for lunch without any whinging about the smell. Even adopt a child, if it came to that. Becky, dear, I heard Gran call to me from the living room. I turned around and she said, Come talk to Gran, beckoning me to her with a little twist of her head. I walked to the living room and this time closed the doors to make sure we wouldn't be heard. What's the matter? she asked. He says he's not going to do it now, I said sitting by her on the sofa. He's done all this work, made all this fuss, and now he says he's not going to do it. Why is he saying that? He says you shouldn't have to do all this work for nothing, but he knew that already, and that's how it is if you really want something. You have to put the legwork in. But he doesn't want to do it now. No, and he says one of the reasons is that he thinks I'm ashamed of him, that I don't think the job is good enough. Well, you didn't sound like you were very impressed with it. It's not the sort of thing I'd want to do, but I just want him to be happy and do something. He's always just drifting from one thing to the other. I mean, what does he want to do? Why can't he decide? Why can't he... Gran put her hand on my arm. Becky, dear, you can't make Sam into something he's not. You've always known what you wanted to do. Sam is different. He's just not that kind of person. Yes, but Gran, what is he going to do with himself? Why does he have to do anything with himself? He can't live on nothing. Well, yes, he does need to earn his bread. But it doesn't really matter what he does to get it. You don't love him for his salary, do you? I just want him to have a sense of purpose. I want him to be happy. But if he's more ambitious, does that make him happy? Or would it just make you happy? He hasn't been happy in a long time. He spent the last few months sulking. I know, dear. 
but it's not going to help if you keep going on at him. If he doesn't know what he wants, he's going to have to work that out for himself. I was tearing up a bit again. You can't go changing them, my dear. You think you can, but it never works. You just have to love them the way they are. Did you love Grandad the way he was? If I wasn't so upset, I wouldn't have had the courage to ask. I look around here and you've changed everything. It's like you've gotten rid of everything of his. Well, what's the point in keeping things if they're not getting used? Pat wasn't the sentimental type. He'd rather they go to a good home rather than just lie about the place gathering dust. But don't you miss him? Course I miss him. I've spent most of my life with him. Most days I still expect him to walk in here and sit himself down and start complaining about Arsenal. I still think that at any moment I'm going to hear him chiseling away at something or sanding something down or asking if I want a tea or if I need anything from the shop. Don't think I'm mad, but sometimes it's like I do hear him. I'll be sat here and I'll suddenly hear something, and I'll go looking as if I'm going to turn a corner, and he'll be there just pottering around. If I didn't change the house, I'd be thinking about him all the time. It would always be the place I'd spent with him. I'd just be feeling sorry for myself all the time. I'm getting on, dear. No one likes to think about that. Even with Pat gone, I have to make the best of the time I have left. This house was looking miserable, and it was nice to have things on my own way for a change. The whole time I had people over doing the work, I could just imagine him grumbling about it. I don't like this colour. What are you changing that for? How much are you spending on that? And now finally I get the last say. Well, you're making me cry now too, she said wiping her eyes on the sleeve of her cardigan. She was making me smile. I went into the kitchen to get us both a napkin to dry our eyes and noses on. So funny hearing you say that, I said. Grandad was so quiet all the time, I can hardly remember him speaking at all. Hardly ever. Dear, your granddad was deaf. Lost his hearing years ago. That's why he didn't talk much. If he couldn't read your lips, he didn't know what you were saying. I never realised, I said, and now suddenly it was so obvious. He would never admit to it, you know. Too embarrassed to wear a hearing aid. Silly bugger. Did you not ever wonder why he used to stick his finger in his ear? She pointed her index finger out, stuck it in, and twisted it around. He thought he could unblock it, scrape out all the earwax, as if that would work. Still kept doing it anyway. I smiled. I always thought it was a gross old person thing. Does funny things to you getting older. When he was young, he could really turn on the charm. You can't really do that like you used to when you get older. Time moves on. You get left behind. It's like... It's like you don't even speak the same language sometimes with these young people today. He lost his confidence when he started to lose his hearing. It was easier for him to stay quiet than admit that he wasn't what he was anymore. They can be very silly, these men. We sat for a moment, looking up at Grandad's picture on the mantelpiece. What am I going to do with Sam? I said. You don't have to do anything with Sam. Let him work things out for himself. If he doesn't want this job, what job does he want? He knows just as well as you do that he needs one. 
but he's unbearable when he's sulking. And he's been sulking for months. If you really want to be with him, you might just have to let him. After a quiet moment, she added, I like my new kitchen and my new carpets, but I'd give it all up just to have him back. No fun being all alone and having no one to share nice things with. I gave Gran a long hug. We sat quietly together for a little while longer. What time do we get out the sandwiches? Gran asked. Not for an hour or two at least. What if I offer Sam an early evening whiskey? Seemed to cheer him up last night. Can't do him any harm, I suppose, I said. Me and Gran played a few hands of rummy before putting on Strictly. Another thing I couldn't normally watch if it was just me and Sam. He joined us later, and we watched some stand-up specials with Sarnie's crisps, sausage rolls and pork pies. It helped lift the atmosphere, and I was able to relax a little. Other than passing around food and chocolates, we didn't speak much until we were in bed. He was still a bit closed down, not very communicative. As we lay there side by side, I said to him, Sam, I just want you to be happy, really. If you decide you don't want to do the SEO job, that's fine. I'm going to support you. And please don't take seriously what I said about it. I was being a dick. I'll be proud of you, whatever you do. After a few silent seconds, he said, I don't do things just to make you feel proud. Okay, I said. I wanted to listen, not jump right on every word. He followed a moment later with, I'm not sure what I want to do. If you need some time, you can take some time. We'll manage, I'm with you. More silence. I said, I mean it when I say I just want you to be happy. He was staring up into space. I leaned over and kissed him on the cheek. He didn't do anything in response, at first. Then I felt him grab my hand and squeeze it a little. Then with a twist he gave me a peck on the cheek, before returning to his ceiling staring position. It was strange, I'd never known Sam to be so distant. But he didn't hate me. He needed time and I needed to support him. I said goodnight and I turned off the light. The exhaustion from the night before helped me to sleep. One thing I remember from that night is that I woke up once to use the bathroom. When I got back to bed it felt so cold there. Colder than even outside the blankets. It seemed to be coming from Sam. It was like there was an icy aura around him. He felt like he must be freezing cold. At one point I reached out to touch him, because I wanted to know that he was all right. But he stirred suddenly, and then rolled over away from me. I didn't want to wake him, and I was still very sleepy, so I gathered more sheets around me and fell back to sleep. I had this dream. It was like the one I'd had the night before. The house was all in a mess because the puppy had gone crazy. I was busy tidying it all up and looking for Sam. I couldn't find him, but Grandad was there. He was there with the puppy and the puppy was doing everything he told him. Sam wasn't there again when I woke up in the morning. We'd said we would leave early on Boxing Day so he could work back at our flat. There must have still been his plan, even though he wasn't going for the job anymore. Unless he was. I didn't want to ask in case it got him in a mood. He still wasn't saying much, and he packed his things up very quietly. But he wasn't noticeably upset. Just still not Sam as usual. But better this way than how he was yesterday. Never known him to be so closed down before, I said to Gran, as we shared one last cuppa in the living room.
If he's anything like Pat, she said, once he's figured out what to do, he'll probably pretend like he never changed his mind about anything in the first place. Nan had insisted on us taking home some leftovers and had packed us a plastic tub full of turkey, pigs in blankets and the flat Yorkshire puddings. After removing the pieces of Christmas cake, I went to take it to the car. Sam wasn't there and he had the keys. He must have gone back for something. I left it on the garden wall and went to say goodbye to Gran, who was standing in the doorway to see us off. We had a big hug. Sam squeezed past us, having grabbed his shower bag from the bathroom. You'll make it up all right, she said. He'll get back on his feet and things will work out. Sam opened the boot to put his shower bag inside. I shouted to him, Sam, don't forget to put the food in as well. He looked at me, puzzled. The food box, I shouted again, pointing to it on the wall. He seemed to hear me that time. He bent over to pick it up. But before he did, he raised his right hand and extended his index finger. Then he stuck it into his ear and twisted it around. I felt all the colour run out of my face. I watched as he wiped the earwax on his trousers, then lifted the box into the car boot. I'll have to let you go, dear. I'm letting all the heat out, said Gran. She had to say it twice before I heard her. I turned around and she gave me one last hug. You'll get used to him, dear, she said. You'll get used to him in time. She waved to Sam, and he waved awkwardly back. She closed the door and I just stood there, feeling the cold in the marrow of my bones. Sam gave me a look that said, You coming or not? Slowly I walked there. I let myself in. I sat down, and I stared at him. He started the engine, and looked at me too. What's the matter? he said. Trembling. I turned to him and asked, Who are you? He rolled his eyes and said, Who'd you think? He put his foot on the accelerator. We pulled out and began our long drive home. Thank you for listening to the New Ghost Stories podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a like or leave a review on any platform and subscribe to hear future releases. And if you want to support the podcast, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash newghoststories. The podcast is written and produced by me, David Paul Nixon. To hear all the latest from me, sign up to my substack at davidpaulnixon.substack.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at newghoststories and learn more at newghoststories.com. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Keep your eye out for a bonus episode coming soon.